Hello, non-binary pals, guys, gals, and any pets who happen to be listening. Especially you. Yeah. This is Science and Podcast. If it's your first time here, welcome. Uh, My name's Madison. Uh, There's another person here. Yes, and that would be me, and my name is Jared. That's Jared. You're going to love him. Um, What we're here to do is take the headache out of peer-reviewed scientific literature. Yes, um, as we have been doing, uh, you know, since I want to say mid-June, July, August or so, and we never stopped, uh, so I don't know why you would ask that. Um, (laughs) Quite frankly, it's a little bit weird. If it's not your first time listening, um, the reason Jared is saying that is because (laughs) we haven't posted anything in like two months. Something like that. Um, Like maybe one Instagram post. Uh, But yeah, we've been taking a break. Um, The big juicy reason why we have been missing from your ear holes is that we were sleepy. (laughs) Just a little bit sleepy. (laughs) You're tired. Um, And rest is the revolution. So we took a little breaky break. Absolutely. But we're back. We are better than ever. We have a uh, slightly depressing article for you today, which I'm just real excited for. (gasps) It's a sad one? (laughs) The connotations are a little bit uh, like, why would you even start doing this? Okay. Yeah. Well, here's the great thing about science and podcast, folks, is even when we have a sad subject matter, we make a lot of jokey jokes. Absolutely. We do. Mm -hmm. So get ready for those. Get ready for um, tangents. Oh, a lot of tangents. Oh, yeah. So... Once Jared introduces the article, then we will go into a little section we call our fun fact corner, where we talk about stuff that's completely unrelated to the article, but still sciencey. Mm-hmm. And then we'll do a little nubbin called the jargon corner, where we take you through any big sciencey concepts or words that are going to show up in the article so that you know what's up. And we'll talk through the article mm-hmm. with a lot of tangents and jokes. And, I realized um, halfway through that that Madison wasn't actually giving that info as a refresher for me, but for any new listeners who might be joining <laughs> us. But it was good to have for myself it's as well. It's for me as well. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You want to yeah. hear about this paper? And then at the end, oh. we'll be like, oh, how should we end this? And then something weird will happen. Yeah. Okay. Let's Usually, we'll sing a dumb song. Usually. Uh, so, the paper I brought for us this week will have us dipping our toes into the realm of fish aquaculture and the use of biological rather than chemical methods uh, to bolster the health and sustainability of fish stocks. That in itself is actually a super positive thing to be researching. Uh, you'll see why it's... Uh, uh, anyway, uh, more specifically, it explores how a technique with deep roots in human psychology uh, could be used to take a commonly used cleaner fish species and produce captive bread lines of said species that are actually good at the job we want them to do. Oh. Yeah. Uh, more on that later. This work was done by scientists Benjamin Alexander Whitaker, uh, Sofia Consaguera, and Carlos Garcia de Lienes uh, at the Center for Sustainable Aquatic Research at Swansea University in the United Kingdom. The paper's title, Personality Profiling May Help Select Better Cleaner Fish for Sea Lice Control in Salmon Farming. Published this month, October, uh, in the journal Applied Animal Behavior Science. Okay, so we got some fish farming. We got we some got fish farming. some behavioral science. Mm-hmm. That's cool. And some selective breeding. Yes, indeed. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to dive into that little pool. <laughs> but before we go over there, we got to go over here. You know what's over here? We got to wait over to the fun fact corner. The fun fact corner! Mm-hmm. Oh, I had that reminder. Uh, which one of us would like to go first? <laughs> I'll go first. <laughs> so, um, I don't know if this is common info. Maybe not. Uh, but I recently learned that uh, horses sweat. Oh, yeah. yeah, horses have sweat glands, and they function in a lot of the same ways that our sweat glands do. They're kind of all over the body. Uh, but you might also notice that horses have fur all over their body. So they actually have sort of like a lathering protein agent inside their uh, sweat that makes it sort of like foam and bubble up through the fur so it can actually do the job it's supposed to do. Question, though. Yeah. Do horses have hair or fur? If, if we're talking mammals, it's really one of the same. Oh. Um, 
there's like different like types of like coats that an, an animal can have. Like uh, I know fur seals have like guard hairs and other types of hairs. So like hair is like there's different types of hairs, but hair and fur are I feel are interchangeable. Oh, okay. Because like with dogs, it's always a big deal. Like the ones that have fur, you're allergic to them, and the ones who have hair, people aren't allergic to them. I think that's a distinction that someone made up. Oh, huh. well, maybe was, I just learned something new today. So. Now there is a difference between like the hairs of like mammals and the hairs of like a uh, tarantula, a uh, big old hairy spider. Their hairs are made mostly of chitin, which is a really complex sugar. Chitin. Mm-hmm. That makes sense because they're related to horseshoe crabs. Yes, indeed. Anyway, is that the end of your fun fact? That is the end the of my horse fun fact. The horse's sweat? That's cool. I I have ridden a couple sweaty horses. <laughs> I remember, yeah, because you take the saddle off and it's all like bubbly. When oh, you brush them. Yeah. That is something I didn't quite consider when I was reading that. Yeah. Gross. Horses are cool. What's your fun fact, Asa? My fun fact this week is... So I've been like really into Scotland lately. Oh, yeah, because I found out, like, from my parents' ancestry, whatever, that we have, like, a lot of Scottish genes. So I, like, have been reading Scottish folk tales and just, like, stuff like that. And we all know about... So are Scottish jeans with more, like, a plaid pattern, like, they have the kilts? <laughs> L-O-L, or... jeans with a G. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> so there's this island off the coast of northern Scotland where there is the best-preserved Paleolithic settlement. Really? In Europe. Yeah! Cool. It's really cool. It's about... It's almost as old as Stonehenge, and it's, like, there's, like, the whole house, and then there's these cool, like, arc stones, and, like, really, really interesting. And it's, like, unique because it's a part, uh, it's an island that used to be part of the mainland that got cut off, and that's why it's so well-preserved. Because well, nobody lives Just, like, lives water there. weathering? Yeah. Interesting. And, like, sea level rise because oh, of yeah. the stuff. Of <laughs> <laughs> the stuff. Yeah, the things that happened thousands of years ago that I don't really know, but, mm-hmm. um... Yeah. That's really cool. There's also a really cool legend about, um, so similar to in Japan, when orifish wash up in Scotland, it's like an omen of an earthquake. Really? Yeah. Oh, I would have thought you were taking the dragon angle. Well. Like, like, like or- orifish being sea monsters. No, actually. I mean, they do think of it as a sea monster. I can't yeah. remember what they call it, but um, they're a portent of like natural disaster. Interesting. Um, yeah. Hmm. Which is, like, those are two very different places that have the same association. So that's interesting. They are. And I can draw a third parallel. Well, I guess this isn't actually a parallel, but I've been having, uh, I've been seeing so much about, you You know you know woolly bears, right? Woolly oh, bears, I the caterpillars. Oh, I love woolly bears. They're so cute. You know all the bullcrap about them being able to, like, predict the weather by how much the black banding is on them compared to, like, the brown banding? No. It's like an old wives' tale, uh, which, it, it just doesn't work, but I see, I see people posting about it all the time, and I'm just like, n- no. Huh. It's about as accurate as Punxsutawney Phil, which I feel like we have to go through this every single year, but he's not actually that good at predicting the winter. He no. doesn't even know that we want him to. That's the groundhog, by the way. Yes. <laughs> yeah. For, non, for, for all you people fortunate to live outside the U.S. Yeah. <laughs> the groundhog predicts our weather, and no, I'm not gonna... <laughs> um, anyway. Yeah. So... Oh, and then there's a legend about one of those or fish washing up and, like, basically, like, slapping its tail down and separating that island from the mainland. Cool. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. They're definitely not that powerful in real life, but it's fun no. to, 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 to imagine they might be. Yeah. Nor that large. No, nor that large. They get like maybe like 16 feet or so. The legend is cool, though, because it does know quite a bit about fish anatomy, because in order to kill the giant orfish that they had to feed like seven virgins to every Saturday or whatever, um, the person carries glowing coals and peat moss into the, the mouth and into the body of the orfish. Which would impact the fish and, and give it constipation death? No, and goes to the liver. Because it's oily. Oh. And then sets the fish afire. Oh. By putting the peat in the liver. Well, that's interesting. Isn't it? Yeah. Sucks for the fish. Well, it's a monster. 
Yeah. True. Yeah. It was eating all of the women. Oh. You don't want that. So definitely a real monster, though. So real. <laughs> this is a science podcast, guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everything no we say mythical. on here is 100% real and accurate. No mythical bullshit, guys. Just kidding. Yeah, um, just... Do your own research. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So that was our fun fact corner. Mm-hmm. I had fun. I enjoyed it. You want to jump into the uh, paper? Uh, now it's Jargon Corner time. It is Jargon Corner. Don't forget Jargon Corner. Yeah, but we have to jump into the water that is the Jargon Corner mm-hmm. so we can pick some parasites off it and learn from them. Let's do it! Okay. All right, three, <laughs> two, one, sploosh! All right, so first up, and coming right from the aforementioned title of this paper, is Personality Profiling. Personality Profiling. So that is basically um, using a series of indicators or predictors um, of how a individual is going to behave in other situations and creating profiles for each particular personality. So like Myers-Briggs is an example of one. Yes, that's basically it. Uh, put more, uh, most broadly, personality profiling is the identifying, you've basically already said this, of an individual's traits and behaviors that are consistent and repeatable over time. Ah. Uh, profiling is most often associated with classifying criminals in pop culture. There's a lot more uses for it that uh, are done, especially in advertising. Stop selling me things that I literally just talked about. I'm going to throw my phone in the also, garbage. Also, a lot of the things that are like, if you do this, you're a sociopath. If you do this, you're a serial killer. A lot of them are just autistic traits, and it makes me mad. Yeah, it really seems more harmful than anything. Yeah. But, yeah. Okay. Um. So, you, you know, um. there's some evidence back and forth for personal, for uh, personality profiling. Um. The evidence that it actually can classify, like, what is a psychopath and what isn't a psychopath... A lot of confliction there, uh, so maybe take that stuff with a grain of salt. Um, Definitely. But yeah, absolutely. Um, so it does find a wide range of uh, uses and things from job recruitment, which might be a little iffy, because, you know. Speaking of, what? can I tell you a real quick story that mm-hmm. my mom told me? Yeah. So at her company, they were getting really big into that one personality profile that gives you different colors, like green, orange, blue. Huh? Um, it's like one of those, it was like a fad, one of those personality tests. Interesting. Um, and her company was so into it that they made everyone wear name tags that were the color of their personality profile. Has science gone too far? It turned into tribalism. All of the blue people thought they were better than the green people and so on and so forth. It's like, (laughs) personality profiling is a bit of a pipeline to racism in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, you know, be careful when you're, you're using it. It can have its uses, but, uh, be careful. Mm -hmm. Also. Humans are far from the only animals that show uh, predictable, repeatable behavior. So there's really no reason why, say, a fish couldn't be profiled as well. I agree. Mm-hmm. Next up, facultative cleaner fish. Facultative. So those are fish that are basically employed by humans to do a job, right? Not quite. Okay. Though I get where you're going with that because faculty. Yeah. Um, so facultative in biology is an, or- in, an organism that only does something under certain conditions. Interesting. Yeah. So like a fac- so like um with with lungfish, you have the facultative air breathers, ones that will supplement their oxygen supply with with uh, breaths of air, and then there are the obligate air breathers who live in water that's so anoxic that they have to breathe air. Gotcha. Okay, I've, I've heard obligate before, but mm-hmm. I have never heard facultative. Yeah, facultative is like obligate's uh, lazy sister. Okay. Cool. Mm-hmm. New word. Yeah. But yeah, um, so uh, a cleaner fish is, of course, uh, one whose diet consists of the morsels picked off of the bodies of often much larger fishes. So put both parts together, and you get a facultative cleaner, one that will clean the bodies of other fishes, but only in the right context. Oh, okay, you said facultative cleaner, but I heard facultative clinger. Oh. There's sort of a fish that's like, can I hang out with you guys? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> if we didn't get enough socialization that week, it gets a little bit facultative clean, clingy, mm-hmm. you know? Like a male anglerfish. <laughs> well, that's They're an obligate clinger. Yeah, they are an obligate clinger. So much that they fuse themselves into the blood of the female, which is... That's not what we're talking about right now. It is crazy, though. Mm-hmm. Um, and finally, artificial selection, also called selective breeding. That is when humans purposely decide who mates with who in order to, uh, like, further certain traits that they deem the ones that they want. Mm-hmm. Uh, artificial selection is essentially evolution, but controlled and attempted to be directed by humans. Yeah. We often don't have the uh, consequences that we wanted or expected, but, uh, you know, that's just because we're humans trying yeah. to uh, do that. That's um, how every single species of dog alive today is the same species. Yep, Canis familiaris. They yep. are all that. And in theory, uh, you could breed a Great Dane to a Chihuahua, but I don't think that would be very fun for either one. It is crazy to me that, like, a pug and a Romanian Ridgeback are the same species. Yeah. It's crazy, isn't it? The genome is so wide and varied. Mm-hmm. Phenotypic plasticity. That wasn't the right word, but it's a fun word to say. Yeah. Yeah. Tell your friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, as you said, desired physical and or behavioral characteristics are identified in a chosen organism, and individuals who possess those characteristics are bred together, while those who don't fit the mold are excluded. Selective breeding is what turns a once wild species domesticated, uh, domestication being the process that makes them accustomed to captivity uh, and to express desired behaviors while suppressing un- undesired ones. Yeah, it's like, hey, do you remember that one wolf that was really nice? Let's make that one have a little fun time with that other wolf that's really nice, and then they'll have nice wolf babies. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, more recently, I'm sure you've heard of the Russian silver fox experiment, Oh, right? I love that experiment. With Dmitry Nebelyev. Yes. He was actually cited a lot in this paper talking about like how we could possibly domesticate the species that we're mm-hmm. going to be talking about, which is uh, really cool. Yeah. That was a cool experiment. I learned the hallmarks of domestication from that experiment. Well, there you go. Now, do fish get uh, curly tails and spotted floppy ears? Um, no, they don't have external ears, and it would not benefit a fish to have a tail that was too floppy. So, no, those are not going to work in fishes, but <laughs> fishes have been domesticated before. Like, uh, the goldfish has been... Exactly. I want to say that's been domesticated. Don't, don't fact-check me on that. Well, the koi definitely has. The koi definitely has, so we're going to pretend I said that. Yeah. Um, okay, that is about what we need to start the paper. You ready to go? I am so ready to go. Okay. Let's get in there. Madison. But first, a break from our sponsors. Just kidding. No one pays us. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Those two months make a whole lot more sense. Madison, can you tell me what a sea louse is? A sea louse. It's a little arthropod. Uh, no? No, it's no, you're right. Arthropod? Okay. You gasped. I was like... <gasps> well, my smile was because it can also mean something else. It's kind of funny. Oh, Okay. So it's a little arthropod, and um, it sits on other animals, and it pesters them sometimes, or sometimes they don't really care. They're but, parasites. Yeah. So they're not, like, they always care. All, you think right whales care? Well, well, the definition of a parasite is, like, it causes a negative thing to the organism it's associated with. I guess. But, like, that's how we tell right whales apart, is the callosities are colonized by this one species of sea lice. Really? Yeah. Oh. That's why they're white instead of black. So they I guess finish. not all sea lice. See, that's, yeah. Okay biology um okay so <laughs> not all parasites are pests <laughs> mm-hmm. uh but sea lice to some which is the funny part uh is actually a source of skin irritation that can happen when uh stinging jellyfish larvae get into your bathing suit and sting you oh really yeah causes skin irritation um more more relevant to this topic though uh they are arthropods they are a tiny group of copepod crustaceans belonging to the family caligidae so think like tiny shrimp looking thing mm-hmm uh, these sea lice are ectoparasites, parasites that live on rather than in their host, uh, feeding on the skin, mucus, uh, and blood of their fishy hosts and also some other organisms. If you wouldn't have told me what ectoparasite means, I would have thought it was a ghost parasite. <laughs> because of ectoplasm. 
That would have that would have been good as it is technically Halloween tomorrow, but maybe I'll find like a ghost paper for next time. Oh yeah, we're coming to you from the day before Halloween. Ooh. Mm-hmm. I have candy for breakfast. Um, so, sea <laughs> lice. Um, also, uh, more relevant to this paper, present one of the biggest obstacles uh, in the way of making salmon farming more more sustainable. Even a mild sea lice infection uh, can damage the skin of an infected fish to, to the point that it cannot actually be sold. And oh, no. large, yeah, and large outbreaks can cause mass mortality in the worst cases. That's really bad. Yep. And with sea lice already evolving resistance to the few approved medications that protect salmon from from sea lice, uh, not just uh, uh, what's what's the word bacteria or viruses, antibiotic mm-hmm. resistance can happen to basically anything. Yep. Uh huh. Um, it's becoming quite clear that this biological problem requires a much more biological solution. Um, and that is where the facultative cleaning fish comes in. I see. When we think cleaner fish, uh, most of our minds will conjure tiny little images. <laughs> I read that wrong. Well, they... <laughs> <laughs> so the image has to be small, is basically what I'm saying. Think of a small picture. Um, what I meant to say there was tiny, tiny little striped fishes. Yeah. Uh, the images of them. I'm going to keep that in because that was funny. It was. Uh, setting up stage. Setting up stations on colorful tropical reefs and offering up their services. But these services are not really limited to the tropics. Uh, In fact, certain species of temperate wrasse have actually been researched and employed as lice cleaners and salmon pens for about 30 years now. Um, and uh, they can actually be quite efficient in in using uh, in keeping their salmon pens free of external parasites. The unavoidable issue of using wrasses, though, is that they cannot be utilized throughout the year. Under 6 degrees Celsius, these facultative cleaners go into a state of dormancy, making them rather unfit for parasite duty uh, during the late fall and winter months. Makes sense. This has revealed the need for an efficient facultative cleaner fish that can stay active along with the salmon year-round. That need could technically be met uh, by none other than Cyclopterus lumpus, <gasps> the very aptly named lumpfish. Lumpfish! Lumpfish. Oh my god, I love them so much. Mm-hmm. Okay, Madison they- and I love lumpfish quite a bit. The Instagram is just going to be all lumpfish pictures. It's going to be all lumpfish. They're so cute, you guys. So cute. And so ugly, but in the best way. Like, they're, they're just so bumpy, and mm-hmm. they have a suction cup on their belly, and they their faces, like, they're so derpy. Ugh. They are very, very They're derpy. very round. Um, so, as Madison has already alluded to, uh, as a fish proper, because it is a true fish, <laughs> lumpfish are a bit of an oddity. Their body can only be described as globiform, to put a word to it, uh, meaning very round and sometimes lumpy. Mm-hmm. And it is also entirely lacking in not only scales, but a gas bladder as well, uh, which most fishes fill with gas uh, and empty as needed to stay afloat. Mm-hmm. Lumpfish do nothing of the sort. Instead, uh, as Madison said, using a modified fin on where their chest would be uh, to stick firm to surfaces when not in motion. Importantly, uh, the lumpfish does not go through a period of, of, of winter dormancy, so they can continue to pick parasites off of afflicted salmon year-round. They're badasses. They, they are. They live in tidal zones, too. Like, if they get above the water, they're like, okay for a bit. They are okay for a bit. Isn't it incredible? Mm-hmm. Here's the uh, unfortunate part. Um, so, and under the right... Well, I mean, uh, one cool thing before that, and I think this is the thing that uh, salmon farms have been hang- hanging on to, because under the right conditions, lumpfish have actually been shown to be able to, re- to reduce the parasite loads of salmon by up to 93%. Okay. So in theory, they can be a really good cleaner fish. What are the right conditions, though? Very, very specific. Okay. Um, because on a case-by-the-case basis, cleaner lumpfish are laughably bad at their desired jobs. Ugh, same. Uh-huh. <laughs> 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 I need to agree with you there. <laughs> gotcha. Madison, you're great at your job. Oh, thank you, Jared. You're welcome. You too. Oh. Uh, looking again at the biology of, of, of the lumpfish, it does make a lot more sense that they that most would be bad cleaners than the other way around. Juvenile lumpfish, the age group employed as cleaners, uh, around a year old, uh, tend to 
tend very much towards, very much towards sit and wait feeding. Uh, this probably has a lot to do with them being pretty bad swimmers overall, with a naturally low capacity to actually exert themselves. Yeah, they're like those hamster cars. Mm-hmm. They're just, yeah, they can't go above 60. Just not very maneuverable. <laughs> yeah. Just, um, they'll just stick to the rack and wait for the food to come to them. Yep. Now, here's the thing that kind of uh, was the first alarm bell for me. Uh, not only are they poorly adapted to pursuing prey, they're not actually facultative cleaners in the wild. Okay, so they... Do Nor they, do they typically interact with other fish species in general. Yeah, because, I mean, other fish, I, I don't see anything that would make another fish recognize them as a cleaner or a mm -hmm. symbiont, and mm -hmm. they're not fast enough to, like, catch other fish and be like, let me eat your lice. Not usually, no. Uh, so one could reasonably wonder how much thought was put behind the making of uh, lumpfish cleaners widespread in the first place. Um, it happened, yeah. it happened super quick. There were, like, I read this other paper that was talking about more of the, um, statistics. There were... Thousands of lumpfish, a few thousand being, being being shipped out in like the 2010s. By 2015, it was millions huh. uh, being harvested from wild lumpfish for the specific use of cleaners. Even though it wasn't working? It works sometimes is the problem. I'm guessing people yeah. held on to that. It works sometimes and just beat it to death. Speaking of like personality and like behavioral science, I wonder if it's the intermittent reward principle. <laughs> Possibly. Um, <laughs> another line of thought I had is maybe they just weren't listening to scientists because there were papers mm. published throughout those few years kind of showing that they're not really good in most cases, uh, but production of lumpfish uh, for uh, cleaners just ramped up as those were being published. Huh, and so people were just doing what the guy next to them was doing. That sounds a lot like it. Like, um, that sounds like people. Yeah. It does sound like people. Um, That's it, how we got lawns. Oh, God, we can do a whole episode on squashing lawns. Let's squash lawns. Let's squash lawns. Um, so, while individual lumpfish can be extremely efficient at delousing salmon, it has been shown in practice that only a small minority actually do so, uh, from 38% to as low as 13%, depending on the study, in practice. Not good. The rest seem to ignore the lice entirely, instead feeding on passing plankton or competing with the salmon for their own fish chow. Just, like, for, for fun, can you imagine if at restaurants... Waiters only got your order right 38% of the time. <laughs> Some duck and donuts. That, 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 that is my frequency, but, but I got but the like, <laughs> What if that, like, that was apparently the bar for these. Oh, the bar is fish. so low. Yeah. And the bar can, as low as 13% as well. Oh so not only that, imagine if you ordered a grilled cheese and they got it wrong 87% of the time. Or like, okay, let's say it's like a machine. Like, would you buy a microwave that only heats your food 13% of the time? I had a 2% chance of killing you. Um, like, That's no. not a good analogy, but <laughs> no, I wouldn't do that. Yeah, or a 2% chance of killing itself. Yeah. 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 Because okay. the reality is a lot of these lumpfish are dying of starvation. I um, hate that. Yeah, it, it, it sucks. Um, as an unfortunate result, uh, many lumpfish do end up with low overall welfare, or like I've said multiple times already, uh, succumbing to malnutrition. Babies. It's gotten to the point that calls for multiple welfare groups have been made to halt the practice entirely until these problems are addressed. To I'm be honest, I kind of agree with them. Yeah, I'm with that. Um, so quite clearly, steps must be taken to ensure that the minority of lumpfish cleaners uh, are one day hopefully be turned into the majority. Make them better at their job. Yes. Yeah. We're going to go with the way Madison said mm -hmm. that. Should the prospects of salmon de-lousing lumpfish uh, be amended entirely, or is there perhaps a way to take advantage of this natural variation in cleaning behavior and turn it into a strength rather than a weakness? Artificial breeding. Possibly. Possibly. <laughs> but why not just find a different fish? I had that thought the whole time I was reading this. Yeah. Um, 
I think it's good that scientists are doing this work, um, because the people that publish this study are not the ones who are farming lumpfish for the salmon farms, they're just trying to offer an answer. Well, that's good, because that'd be a conflict of interest. That, oh yeah, no, I read the thing, they mentioned uh, no conflict of interest at the bottom, okay. so, yeah. Okay. Um, a rather interesting trend seen in faculty of cleaner species is that the behavioral tendency to acquire food from the bodies of others is heritable, uh, or is passed down from one generation to the next. Genetically, not by learned behavior. Yes. That's interesting. Well, sort of. They have they inherit a set of behaviors that makes them more likely to clean. Okay. You fair. know. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. So the offspring of two facultative cleaners will very likely exhibit a very strong tendency towards cleaning behavior as well, because the two parents did. So generally, the baby's going to too. And since this behavior is inherited, it is something that could potentially be targeted and expanded upon through the process of selective breeding. Yeah. Now this could actually solve two issues in itself. Not only making lumpfish cleaners more efficient, but also eliminating the the need for wild-caught lumpfish, which all lumpfish used in salmon pens currently are. They Seriously? harvest wild lumpfish, they harvest the eggs, and they raise them up for farming, uh, for cleaning. Really? Yep. That's not cool. No. No. And we know how to breed lumpfish, they're, so... They're really easy to breed. Uh-huh. They're... Oh, God. You know what I mean about this being kind of a sad paper? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's annoying me. Yeah. Um... But lumpfish are so cute, guys. They are really They're cute. They're so cute. Like, think of a basketball with acne. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably cute, cute to our fan base. Uh, so, yeah. I that, hope so. That makes sense. If you think that's cute, you're in the right place, y'all. <laughs> Absolutely. Of course, before you can produce more efficient lines of cleaner lumpfish, you need to be able to accurately identify the ones that are better cleaners than, than the others. This Ooh. is not easy it is it's so hard to see this happen in the wild uh where i guess i shouldn't say in the wild in, in salmon pens the behavior is almost never never observed mm -hmm. they just see based on the lack of lice on the salmon in those preliminary studies that so the, then you'd only be able to know if like one of them's doing the job if there was the only one in there exactly is that what they did well no okay well yes in a way but in tell me about it i'm gonna tell you about it uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh basically um in that line of thought, uh, producing the uh, more efficient lines of lumpfish that are better cleaners than others, our authors reasoned that this could possibly be achieved, identifying those traits, uh, through the use of personality profiling. Okay. We're talking dating site for lumpfish. Oh my god! Oh my god, oh my god. Because you said that the behaviors that make them more likely to clean is what's heritable. Mm -hmm. So we can track those behaviors. But first we gotta identify them. Okay, let's do it. Mm-hmm. All right. So, as mentioned in the jargon corner, personality profiling finds most of its use in humans, but has come to be applied more and more to non-human animals as the years go on. After all, having a characteristic personality, temperament, or whatever you want to call it, is certainly not exclusive to human animals by any means. No, it's why golden retrievers are like, I love you, and chihuahuas are like, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Um, in 1999, a pair of researchers developed what's called the five-factor model of non-human personality which uses a set of five slightly broad characteristics to, to produce its, its, its results. We have activity, how active you are, sociality, self-explanatory, mm -hmm. anxiety, oh boy, self-explanatory, aggression, low, high, low. <laughs> <laughs> and boldness. Basically, um, are you afraid of new things or do you want to explore them? Low, low, high, low, high. Well, there you go. We'll that's, see if that makes you a good cleaner. That's my personality profile. <laughs> So, in relation to lumpfish and not medicine, our authors predicted that fishes with bold personalities are more willing to, to explore th th their environment, or are more active and non-risk averse, could turn out to be the most likely fish fish to clean. Look, that guy's got food on his back. Let's see if we can go get it. That's exactly what Sounds like a bold fish. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A bold lumpfish. Mm -hmm. A blumpfish. Blumpfish. Title of the episode. Yes. Um, <laughs> 
So, to test their hypothesis, uh, our authors gathered uh, a total of 38 lumpfish eggs from two genetically distinct populations. One from Iceland, the other one from England. Distinct. Mm -hmm. And reared them all under the same conditions until they were year-old juveniles. Uh, remember, this is the age that, um, for some reason, they're used for cleaners when they're seemingly, from what I've read of this paper and others, at their least active. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. That's um, silly. <laughs> yep. Um, so, uh, after they raised them up till they were year-old juveniles, then it was time for testing. Personality profiling was done using a series of tests that would quantify where all the lumpfish fell into the aforementioned five-factor model, the end result of which would be numerical scores for degree of activity, sociality, anxiety, aggression, and boldness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I really want to know if they're anxious. Some of them are. Aww. Not all of them. The first phase... Actually... More on that later, because that's kind of the one that couldn't be measured. Uh, the first phase involved placing in individual fish into a white rectangular tank divided into three equal sections. Uh, this test served to score the fish on their activity level, taking into, into account the total time spent moving around, number of times they crossed over the middle section, and how fast that they did so. So okay. first phase, measuring their activity. All right. Um, so like it's like a white box with like just three sections, and there's no barriers. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Phase one also served to uh, measure one metric of, of anxiety by the total time spent within 10 centimeters of a tank wall. Uh, lumpfish are positively thigmotactic. They favor enclosed spaces. Mm -hmm. um, so if they are favoring an enclosed space, uh, that is usually associated with being afraid or, you know, recycling energy. Gotcha. Okay. So if they're like hanging out in the corners, then they're anxious. Mm -hmm. Good to know. Yeah. Phase two happened in the same area, uh, this time with a PVC panel being added over one side to create a more dark substrate that lumpfish prefer over other sorts. They like the dark. Helps them camouflage, I guess. Um, this What? Little goth fish. Little goth fish. <laughs> this test also quantified anxiety, this time by measuring the total time spent on or within 10 centimeters of the darker substrate, which arguably would be a better measure because they're actually going towards, like, the really likey one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, that makes sense. I said science so well there. Good um, science talk. <laughs> yes. Phase three saw a mirror being placed on the opposite side of, of the shelter, which the lumpfish would see as a fellow species member because they do not pass the mirror test of self-recognition. Uh -huh. Unfortunately. Sorry, lumpfish. You don't pass it. <laughs> um, this served to quantify their sociality by the number of non-aggressive approaches to, to, to the mirror, as well as time uh, total time spent within 10 centimeters of it. They also measured their aggression by the total number of bites and charges at said mirror. Oh. Can you imagine a lumpfish biting and charging at something? No, they're so not aggressive. Unless these ones are, but the ones that I've known are just little dirty Well, you're not babies. a lumpfish. Oh, I guess, yeah. So why would they be aggressive towards me? But I've never seen them be aggressive towards each other. I've never seen it. It does not mean it doesn't happen. Hmm. More on this later. Yeah. The final test saw a novel object previously unknown to the fish. Um, in one iteration, it was a Lego. In the other one, it was something else. I thought the Lego use of the Lego was kind of silly. Um, being placed in the middle of the tank. They uh, kind this... of look like a Lego. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're right, Like, if though. you were to be able to build any fish out of Legos, it'd be a lumpfish. I can see that. I want to do it. It would be the easiest. Yep. Okay, we have something to do after we record this. Uh, <laughs> so the novel object test uh, would, would quantify uh, their boldness using the time taken to first approach the object, total number of approaches to the object, and finally, average distance to the novel object across one-minute intervals. Bold lumpfish love Legos. Mm-hmm. What's, what, what's that acronym? B-L-L-L. Bull. Bull. Yep. Yeah. I'm glad we figured that out. Hell yeah. 
I'm so tired. Um, each fish spent 10 minutes going through each phase, and they were tested a second time a month later. Uh, that was how they, they were going to evaluate the repeatability of all the different personality measures. Oh, good. So a yeah. month later, they put them through, through the same test. So you're not just having, like, a, a bold day. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When all that testing and retesting was complete and the results analyzed, four out of those 11 behaviors were shown to be repeatable. The number of tent crossings from phase one, which would serve as a proxy for activity. Non-aggressive approaches to the mirror from phase two. Three, indicative of, of sociality. Aggressive charges and bites to the mirror, an indicator of, you guessed it, aggression. <laughs> and the number of approaches uh, to the novel object from phase four, indicative boldness. of boldness. Uh, that leaves us with scores uh, for individual lumpfish for activity, sociality, aggression, and boldness. Anxiety wasn't repeatable, so so they had to leave it out. Fair. I mean, anxiety varies day to day. That it does. Yeah. That it does. Now, would these values go on, uh, these values being being the personality profiles, they put it through mm-hmm. a bunch of technical stuff uh, to measure the personality scores. It's all science. You get it. Yep. Um, but would these go on to predict the way the lumpfish interacted with, with salmon? Um, I mean, if it does, that's great. So I'm going to hope yes. Yeah, let's find out. (laughs) The observed interactions between lumpfish and salmon were monitored both for time spent investigating and and pursuing the salmon by the lumpfish and the number of flights from the lumps initiated by the salmon. They flood the lumps. I wrote that, uh, (laughs) and I really enjoy reading it. Um, in total... (laughs) By the lumps. In total... 89% 89% of lumpfish investigated their new salmon tank mates and uh, triggered salmon flights in 89% of those cases. No. <laughs> so almost every time they approached a salmon, they, they did make a flight. Salmon? Come on, it's a friend. So it's important to say that in this instance, both of them were um, novel interactions. Like the, the, the lumpfish had never interacted with, with a salmon before and the salmon had never interacted with a lumpfish before. Just to gauge like what it might look like just starting out, which is basically what they were doing to the lumpfish for the last 10 years. Fair. So the lumpfish was like... Hey, buddy, what's up? And the salmon was like, ah. <laughs> Yep, exactly. Okay. Yep. Fuck, where am I? Interesting. I didn't know that salmon were so racist. <laughs> yeah, they're kind of pretty cats. Yeah. Or maybe just bigoted, as, as Madison uh, so eloquently Yeah, I really don't know. <laughs> Speciest, I guess I should say. So, while the decision uh, to pursue salmon was predicted by the, the, the amount of time spent investigating them, so during that lumpfish and salmon test, uh, the longer the lumpfish investigated the salmon, the more uh, likely they were to actually uh, pursue it. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't actually a personality measure. That was just something they found inside the test itself. Mm. Um, so, um, and not only that, but the time spent pursuing them after the fact could not be predicted by, by personality. Mm. So we can't predict stuff just yet. However, however... The time spent investigating the salmon could be predicted by by personality, as well as the frequency at which salmon fled from an an, an individual. So we can not only predict which lumpfish are more likely to to approach salmon, we can kind of predict how likely the salmon are to run away. Oh, okay. Mm Mm-hmm. Less neophobic, or more bold, uh, to, 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 to use the term from from, from earlier, lumpfish uh, were more likely to investigate salmon in, in the first place. And curiously, salmon were more likely to flee from the individuals that scored highest on both activity and sociality. Aww. It seems the lumpfish can be too boisterous. So like salmon are introverts. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, what does this all mean? Um, that it's not going to go very well, the lumpfish thing. It's not going to be easy, but it yeah. does mean that the gathered personality profiles of facultator cleaner lumpfish can indeed predict how their interactions will go with salmon. And by extension, possibly how well they will do at the actual job job of cleaning. Even more to the point, the ways that these individual studied lumpfish behaved during those interactions pretty closely mirrored the actual amount of cleaning behavior done by lumpfish on farms. 
So of those 38 lumpfish tested, a minority of seven accounted for 60% of all the salmon interactions. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, seven bold lumpfish. Mm-hmm. And a mere three out of those seven uh, were the only ones that chose to to pursue a salmon a- after it fled. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Recall that only an average of 30% of lumpfish in salmon pens uh, have been shown to actively engage in delossing behavior. There you go. Mm-hmm. Okay. So... The results of this study strongly suggest that the drastic differences in cleaning behavior of lumpfish in those pens may very well be due to those personality differences. So do we know why some lumpfish are much better at cleaning than others? And do we know why so many lumpfish suck at it? Maybe. Yeah, a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now that, as uh, even more to a good point, uh, that may not be be the case forever. uh, Because there's a good amount to say that in fishes, the personality traits of activity, sociality, aggression, and boldness are also heritable. We know the genes that, that, that they're associated with, too, in, 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 oh, wow. in a lot of cases, which is awesome. Even more to the point, a bit of modeling by this study's authors showed that aggressive targeting of those right mix of traits via selective breeding could potentially produce usable results within a couple of generations. Okay, I'd, I'd be interested to see that. Like, even, even though everything around this study is kind of stupid, <laughs> it's a really interesting study. It is. And I love, like, talking about the fact that fish have personalities to the point where you can actually profile them because a lot of people don't think of fish they think of fish as like not even an animal nope they are not automatons they are living breathing creatures that do think they yeah and they have very different personalities we just don't see it that much because usually we only see them at the end of a line most people Mm -hmm. you know so i think it is really interesting like personality profiling a group of fish that's really cool. Absolutely. And I, I would be interested to see if they can selectively breed fish for personality traits. And it sounds like the answer is perhaps. The answer is perhaps. Um, now, like we alluded to earlier, uh, it would seem that the biggest challenge this breeding product would face is producing lumpfish that are bold enough and uh, to approach and pursue salmon, but not too bold or social to make the salmon afraid of their presence. Oh, well, what if they accidentally breed like a colony of lumpfish that are just like incredibly Hyper aggressive. Yeah. <laughs> just like, no, just like obsessed with salmon. They will pursue them anywhere. Just like... The salmon would be toned. I mean, you gotta imagine, you gotta imagine, they don't move around a whole lot in those pens. I think they're running... Not that we should make lumpfish that chase salmon, because that's not a good way to give them exercise. Salmon philic lumpfish. (laughs) Love them. Salmophilic. Yeah. I like that. Mm -hmm. I like that. Um... Yes. So even before this is done, uh, the authors had, had, had more suggestions for what can be done to, to improve the welfare of lumpfish in the meantime. A major improvement, major improvement, uh, could be, uh, that, that could be made is the introduction of a lot more social and environmental enrichment. Yes. Uh, things to keep the lumpfish a healthy level of simulated, which could very well improve their cleaning efficiency, uh, as shown by similar tests on captive wrasses. It's also really fun to keep lumpfish simulated because mm-hmm. they're highly food motivated and you can train them to sit in your hand and come when they're called and blow bubbles and swim through hoops. So in this instance, the environmental and social enrichment would, would be more towards like kind of like making their surroundings more useful to lumpfish and also getting Fine. them... <laughs> so, okay, I, I, I like your idea, but here's what they said. <laughs> Well, I just want to let our listeners know that lumpfish have been shown to be trained to do all of those things. They sure have. But that's not what we're talking about, I guess. I, 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 so I, I would never discount lumpfish. What would be a stimulating environment for a lumpfish? Just like posters of salmon? I would say give them more... That was a joke. Okay. <laughs> I was I was ready to jump into a serious answer. <laughs> I will give that serious answer. Uh, okay. Maybe give them more hides. Give them more spaces to tuck away to. Um... Lumpfish really don't do that much in the wild, so yeah. it would be pretty easy to actually keep them enriched. Just make an environment, make the salmon pen more like their natural environment. PVC pipes all over the place. That could work. Yeah. Honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Maybe we should uh, email these salmon people. Yeah, just what? send them. Just send them some PVC pipes. What's their email? Scotland at salmon.edu. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> our our call to action today, folks, is find uh, a salmon farm and send them a load of PVC. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So while the initial decision to employ lumpfish for use as cleaners in the salmon industry seems quite hasty and haphazard at best. Yeah. I'm going to leave it there for a few seconds. Because uh, it was. Uh, yep. Studies like this show that their lives can be made a whole lot better with a little extra effort and some pretty aggressive selective breeding. Mm-hmm. Uh, now it's time to make that happen. Or maybe use a cleaner that's already a little better at the job than lumpfish are. Yeah, maybe pick a different fish. Maybe pick a different fish. Yeah. <laughs> maybe just pick a different <laughs> But if you're going to um, stick with the lymphish, definitely selectively breed them. Because first of all, stop getting them from the wild. Yeah. Stop it. I've sworn so much in the last five minutes. But yeah, this Ooh. made me... I was upset, and then I was interested, and then I was a little upset again. Um, and I hope you were too, listeners. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my moral. Okay. No, that's an interesting one. Glad you liked it. Or yeah, found no. it interesting. I wouldn't say anything like that. I yes. was engaged. Awesome. Yeah. It was, it was a meaty one. Lumpfish meat? Yeah. Hopefully not. <laughs> Hopefully not. Um, okay, cool. Another thing you should know about lumpfish is they don't have scales, and their skin is, like, bumpy. I said that when we talked about the lumpfish. I know. I just... It's, like, bumpy. It feels kind of like sandpaper. It is very bumpy. Mm-hmm. I want to hold a lumpfish. Me too. I'm going to chew in my hand, because that yeah. might be a little, like, silly. I feel, I, feel like, I feel like they couldn't do anything to a human. No, definitely not. Yeah. Little lumpfish kisses. Yeah. I can't wait to see this Instagram post of just lumpfish. It's going to be so many lumpfish. Are you going to put any salmon on it? <laughs> Um, like a salmon poster in a lumpfish's room. Is it like a salmon that's hanging onto like a branch off a waterfall that says like hang in there, baby? You know how you can find out, Jared? You can Check follow us. Oh, sh- yeah. At science underscore in underscore podcast. podcast on Instagram. You can also email us if you have thoughts, questions, concerns. Podcast at scienceandpictures.com. That's our email. We do check it sometimes and um you could also go to our host website scienceandpictures.com for things unrelated to lumpfish but very related to taking the headache out of science with comics Mm -hmm. because we're pretty passionate about that we love it we do love it yeah and then if you want to hear the rest of our episodes wherever you found this one you should be able to find the rest but you can also tell your friends to go to scipod.captivate.fm and they're all there. Yeah. Maybe ask your friend to do it for you. Make him sit down, feed him some uh, cookies and milk, and listen to the podcast. Yeah. Listen to it together. Have some fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope you enjoyed this. It was... And now it is done. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, everybody.